If you have uh, your Bible, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31 this morning. You also have a pew Bible in front of you. I would encourage you this morning, uh, if you have a Bible, if not, no worries, but if you have a Bible or can get to a Bible, this is one of those passages that would be helpful for you to have open and in front of you. Uh, You'll see what I mean uh, once we get into it. Uh, But this is one of those uh, buckle your chin strap passages and buckle it up really tight. (laughs) Um, This has been, by people a lot smarter than me, uh, is considered one of the hardest passages in the the entire New Testament. Uh, Why? Well, it's pretty obvious once we get into it. It's dense. It's thick. There's a lot of Old Testament imagery in this passage. And so if you're not steeped in the Old Testament, it's really easy to get lost. And so you've heard me say this throughout our series, particularly as we're in these uh, couple of chapters in chapters 3 and 4. We're going to come out of the weeds a little bit next week. Uh, But this is another one of those. I told you I'd do this with my children, but, you know, give me one of these. Uh, Hang with me. Focus. Sit up straight. Uh, If we are going to get the things out of this passage that we really need to, and I think God wants us to, then it's going to take us kind of engaging in the text this morning. And so I think you'll see exactly what I mean as I read Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. This is God's word. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, or other translations say born in an ordinary way. I like that. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds with the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you, brothers... Like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. This is God's word. We need to pray and ask God to help us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and in a room this size, lots of different places this morning. Some of us feel like failures because of the things we're struggling with. Others of us are full of doubt. Some of us It's very tense with uh, things going on in our family. Some of us are angry because life is not turning out the way we thought it would or the way we wanted it to. Some of us are anxious about the future. 
Others of us are very excited to be here because we're excited about what you are doing in our lives. Lord, help us wherever we find ourselves this morning to remember that we're here for a reason. That you have brought us here. And it's not an accident. Remind us this morning that we're all the same. We're all beautiful and broken and made in your image. We're all a bigger mess than we realize. And every single person in this room stands in need of your grace. So we need you to take this difficult passage and break through. Break through and teach us in such a way that would change us this morning. We would be very thankful if you would do these things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we jump into the passage, again, you've heard me say this kind of thing lots and lots of times throughout our series in Galatians. And it's a good question that I always come back to. But particularly when we're looking at this passage, a passage like this, so what? I mean, really, why in the world do you need to stay awake this morning for something that Paul is talking about, a story that happened 4,000 years ago? I mean, why would this really matter? Because if we don't ask that question, you're going to learn a lot about Old Testament history this morning, and then we're going to get in our cars and go home. That's what will happen. We don't want that to happen. We need to remind ourselves this morning of what this is all about. And to do so, it's important. This this helps me throughout our study of Galatians. But remember the big picture. Galatians is relevant because it is asking the question about where is your identity found. The question of Galatians. Every human being is born, uh, has has a need for righteousness. From the time a person is born, they're looking for something to plug into. Okay, you're either going to plug into the world or you're going to plug into Jesus to find your identity, your worth, your value, and your significance. Where does a person, that's the question of Galatians, get their identity? That is what Paul has been laying before us week after week after week. And he's basically saying it comes from one or two places. Paul has been laying out two philosophies of life, two ways of living to gain your identity and sense of worth and value. And he said it a ton of different ways throughout our series. Think about it. He said law, gospel. Two ways. You can find it through the law. You can find it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, orphan. You can live like an orphan. Or you can live like a son of God with all the rights and privileges of sonship. Justification by work. So working your way to your identity. Or you can trust in Jesus alone for your identity. He said it lots of different ways. And in this passage this morning, and this is important because it helps us, he's doing the same thing. He's doing the exact same thing this morning through this passage. He's laying out again two different ways that we can get our identity. But this is his closing argument. This is where he brings the thunder, so to speak to the false teachers and to the Galatians, and it's the most powerful and dramatic yet because he says you can find your identity and worth or one of two places again, two ways of living. You can do it through Hagar and be a child of performance. Or you can do it through Sarah and you can find your worth and value through Sarah who is and represents in this passage the children of promise or the true children of Abraham. Two ways of living. Two ways of approaching God. One leads to life and freedom. One leads to death and slavery. It leads to darkness. 
And some of you, as, we, as we're doing this and thinking about this this morning, uh, you're thinking, okay, Paul, I get it. <laughs> Quit talking about the two ways of living. I got this. Let's move on. We got your point. Let me remind you the way we think about the Bible. The Bible's God's word that Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so he's not sitting around thinking, I don't know what else to write, so I'm, I remember this story about Hagar and Sarah from the Old Testament. I think I'll write about that this morning. No. Very intentional what Paul is doing. He returns. Remember, uh, Galatians is, is more uh, organic and circular. It's not linear. So Paul keeps coming back to the same things and making his argument in different ways. And it can only be one reason why Paul does this, because we need to hear it, because we easily forget these things this morning. And let me just give you an example from my own life of how much I need to hear this over and over and over again, what Paul is saying. Maybe you don't need it, but I need it. Because let me tell you about my week. Monday morning, my process is to get up on Monday morning and to read the passage for the next week. I read it over and over. I read it in lots of different translations. I try to get it into my soul and into my bones, so to speak. And I read this passage, and uh, my anxiety level goes up just a notch. (laughs) Every pastor has, in their series that they're preaching through, has one or two passages that they are dreading, that they know are coming. This was mine. And, and, and I start reading some commentaries and trying to get a feel of what the passage is about. And the first paragraph, almost of every commentary I read, and these people are a lot smarter than me, this is the hardest passage in the entire New Testament. My anxiety goes up one more notch. <laughs> Let me tell you what was going on inside of me in this moment. Inside my heart and inside my mind, I immediately, my knee-jerk reaction was, I got to perform this week. I got to be good. I got to really work hard because I got to make this clear. Or these people that I will be sharing this with, they need to understand. It's important that they understand. And so I've got to be really good this week. What am I doing? Friends, I'm a preacher. God's called me to do this. And Monday morning, that's like less than 24 hours that I was preaching the gospel in the same pulpit. And you know what I was doing? I wasn't living by promise. No, I was living by performance. See, I don't know about you, but I need this message over and over and over again. I need someone to tell me that my identity is in Jesus and not in the world and in my performance. So let's dig into this passage this morning. We're going to look at three things. So, Uh, There's three points to the outline, but the outline might look a little differently this morning. Because of the nature of the passage, I want to get this puppy going downhill very, very quickly towards application. Because if we don't do that, we'll be in trouble. And so the points will be geared around application uh, this morning. So this passage teaches us three things. That we need to trust God. That we need to live by promise and not by performance. And thirdly, we need to boast in our weakness. Trust God, live by promise, not performance, and boast in our weaknesses. Those are our three points that we're going to look at this morning from this passage. Let's look at number one, trust God. The point of the passage is really found in verse 28. If you're looking to just kind of sum it up in one verse, 
And he's talking to the Galatians and he says, you are children of the promise. And for four chapters, Paul has been saying, essentially reminding the Galatians that they are the true children of Abraham. He's talked about Abraham a lot if you've been coming uh, throughout the spring. Why? Because the false teachers were coming along and they talked about Abraham and they said, listen, Paul called you children of Abraham, but that mm, you still got a long way to go. You're not children of Abraham unless you eat a certain way. You need to eat kosher. You need to obey the laws of Moses. You need to be circumcised and do what children of Abraham have been doing for thousands of years. You do those things then you can be the true children of Abraham. Then God will really accept you. And so at the end of chapter 4, again, the closing argument, so to speak, Paul finally says, okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about who the true children of Abraham actually are. And it's brilliant. Look at verse 22. He says, remember, it is written that Abraham had two sons. Ishmael, who was born of the flesh in an ordinary way, and Isaac, who was born according to the promise. For us to really understand this, we've got to go back into the Old Testament to get a feel of what the original story was about to understand what Paul is communicating here. And we've got to go back to Genesis 16. There's also stuff in 18 and 21. But basically, the summary is this, and some of you might be familiar with this story. God comes to Abraham and Sarah and says, I'm going to give you a child, and through Sarah... And through your child, you will have many descendants. Remember, he goes out and says, look up at the stars, and as many as the stars will be your descendants, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And they wait, they, they believe God, they laugh because they're so old. But, but they believe God, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they get older and older, and they get tired of waiting. You ever get tired of waiting on God? They get tired of waiting, and so they take matters into their own hands. Sarah's 90 years old at this point. She's barren, she's weak, she's frail, and she looks and basically says, there's no way God's going to give me a child. But Hagar, my maidservant, she's young, she's fertile, and she's full of life. And so Sarah looks at Abraham and says, let's have the child through Hagar. And according to the customs, don't get caught up in that. That's not, not that that's not an important thing to talk about, but that's not the point. And if you get caught up in this, then you'll miss the point. Because this was, uh, according to the laws and customs of the time, it was legal for Abraham to have a son through Hagar, the maidservant. But what I really want you to see is what's happening here. The point is Abraham is faced with the choice of, I can have a child through my human ability, Or I can have a child through God's miraculous ability. And what did they decide? God, we're tired of waiting on you. And so you're not going to come through for us. And so we're going to do this on our own. And so Abraham and Hagar have a son, Ishmael. And later, you know the story, God visits Sarah and in her old age, God does what he promised he would do. And he gives her a son, and they name him Isaac. How well do you think Sarah and Hagar got along? <laughs> Not well. Uh, 
their family ended up being a complete train wreck. Look at the background. You can read the story. But those are the facts. Those are the background. But then the question becomes, okay, so tie this to Galatians. What does this have to do with the Galatians and what Paul is saying here? Well, remember, the Galatians were not relying on the grace of God. They weren't relying on the promise and what God had done. What were they relying on? They were relying on their own human ability, just like Abraham was doing. They were turning from God's grace in Jesus and resting on him alone to self-salvation. They were turning to their own human ability in order to be right with God. So what can we learn from this this morning? Well, I think it's very clear, and this hit me right between the eyes this week as I was studying. Remember, downhill, application, okay? So what? Well, when God doesn't come through like we expect Him to, how often do we, just like Sarah, want to take matters into our own hands? God's not working in our time frame, and so we say, God, we've got this. Move out of the way. And we do our own thing. This teaches us this morning that God is all-knowing and all-wise and all-powerful and that He really does love you. Fill in everything we talked about from chapter 4 at the beginning of us being sons of God, the rights and privileges of sonship. God is all-knowing and He loves us and He's wise and following God. You know what that means? It means that He might love us enough to make us wait. It means that He might love us enough to make us wait and to disappoint us. Is it not possible that God knows how our life should go better than we know how our life should go? I think He does. He's God. Friends, God's care comes in a variety of ways, in various ways. And we often think that if Jesus is really loving us and we're on good terms and God really cares for us, then we get everything we want exactly when we want it on our time frame. That's the way we live. It's the way I live. He will fix my family. He will uh, fix my marriage struggles and my parenting struggles, and He will give me the perfect job. He will take away completely my struggles with my addictions and with my sin. You see, oftentimes God's love and care for us means that He makes us wait sometimes in those things. He disappoints us. And you see, the very thing, what we learn here is the very thing that causes us to wonder about God's care is God's care. You see that? And then the question is, well, why in the world would God do that? That seems so cruel. Why would God make us wait? Well, two reasons. And the first one is so that he will get the glory and not us. And the second reason is that he wants us to lean into him more deeply and intimately. To say it another way, oftentimes God makes us wait and disappoints us so that we will finally go to him to get him rather than go to him just to simply get things from him. Is this not the reason why many of us are so confused about our prayer life? Because oftentimes, we, when God makes us wait or disappoints us or it's not on our timetable, we go to God and we say, give it to me now, I'm tired of waiting. And if we do that, and whatever it is that we're tired of waiting on, if we do that, we miss the point. 
Because the point is God wants us to go to him and say, let me have you. Let me have you. What about you this morning? Can you continue to trust God when he doesn't answer your prayers and your life, your life doesn't look the way you thought it would or the way you want it to? Where does God need to disappoint you so that you'll finally hope in him and not in the things that you can get from him? Secondly, so first of all, this passage teaches us that we need to trust God. Secondly, to live by promise. Look at verse 24. Paul begins by saying, now this may be interpreted allegorically. And man, we could again talk about this for an hour. And I don't have time to go into everything at this point. But let me just say this. Paul's point here, and this is important. Its point is not to go into uh, a lesson on how to interpret the Old Testament. That's not what Paul's doing here. By stating, interpreting it allegorically, doesn't mean that this is the way he interprets the entire Bible. It also doesn't mean that he doesn't think this really happened in real space, in real time, and is part of real history. No, Paul is simply making a point here. The false teachers were using Abraham against the Galatians. And so Paul comes and says, okay, I'm going to beat you at your own game. I'll use Abraham too. And I'll use him against you. And so he's using an argument. He's using an illustration between grace and works. Remember, two ways of living. You can live by grace or by works. That's what he's been arguing for the entire book. And here he uses it in a way that would have been leveling and shocking, jaw-dropping for the original audience. Let me try to explain. Look at verses 24 through 26. This is when it gets a little thick. These two women are two covenants. One from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So let me try to explain what Paul is saying here uh, by this. And I've got a slide that I want us to look at that really helped me make sense. I don't do this uh, ever, but I'm going to do it today because I think it will help you because it really helped me get a visual of what Paul's doing in this. But think of it as two lists. you got two mothers, two sons, two covenants, and two cities, and Paul is using this to show us that these are two different ways of living. Look at the first list. It consists, you'll see them side by side, uh, it consists of Hagar, Ishmael, Mount Sinai, which represents the law, the Ten Commandments, and the present Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city. It represented freedom and promise. But the false teachers had made it the headquarters for performance. Okay? That's the present Jerusalem. And this list represented spiritual slavery. Being enslaved to the law. Or being enslaved to works righteousness. Salvation by works was what that list represented. List two, on the other hand, to contrast is Sarah and Isaac and the covenant of promise and the Jerusalem above, meaning the church. So Jerusalem above, it was to be a place, Jerusalem was to be a place where promise rules, a place not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles and from people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That list represents freedom. It can be summarized 
of trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation. Salvation by grace alone. Okay? Two lists, side by side. Two ways of living. And here's what's shocking. is, And we don't understand how weighty this would have been. It's dramatic and it's brilliant. But the false teachers would walk into the Galatians and they had their head held high, chest puffed out, saying, we're the true children of Abraham. We're Isaac and Sarah. Those are our people. And Paul, this is a mic drop moment. <laughs> okay, we got to get the feel for this. Paul looks at them and says, you're actually not. You're actually children and descendants of Hagar. Because that's the way you approach God. You approach God like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, they did when when they said, I've got to take matters into my own hands. And the fruit of your life, Paul is saying, looks like Ishmael. So what? Let's keep this thing going downhill, remember? So what does this mean? What does it look like in our lives? What does it look like to live like the second list? To live by promise? It looks like lots of things, and there's lots of things we can say. But one, way, it, it, one of the ways it manifests itself in your life is humility. If you live according to divine promise, you will be a humble person. Because look at verse 29. You know that you're children of promise. If you're a children of promise, you know it has zero to do with you. And so you know what that means? If you're in this room this morning and you're a Christian... It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And some of us, because of our background and because of things that have happened in our life, we know that. We know it's a miracle. But others of us, because we're so gifted and because we're so skilled and because everyone around us tells us all the time how great we are, we have a harder time believing it's a miracle because our temptation is to think, I've got this. I've done this. I've been successful in everything I've done. And so I can make this happen too. Friends, let me tell you. It's a miracle. I don't care how gifted and successful you are. If Jesus, if you know Jesus, it's because he moved towards you first and you did nothing. You see, this passage makes us the most humble people or should make us the most humble people in the city of Birmingham. How could we ever look down on someone who does not believe? Salvation is by grace. And if we get that, it will lead to a life of freedom. But what does it look like to live like the first list? What would it look like for your life to live out performance? Well, look at verse 29. The one born of the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted the one born of the spirit, Isaac. So also it is now. We immediately hear the word persecution and we think of the worst possible thing. And that does include that. So we immediately go to the physical. But persecution can also be something very uh, much more subtle. If you look at uh, the story, you know, Isaac or uh, Ishmael mocked Isaac because he was insecure. Because he was insecure that he didn't have his father's love and approval. One of the surest signs that you're living by performance is that you're an insecure person. And you're always comparing yourself to everyone else around you. And that means that you don't love people well. 
And you don't love people well because everyone around you is seen as competition. And so you're always putting someone down or being overly critical of people for the smallest things because you have to. Because you've got to be superior and you've got to find something in order to make yourself feel better. So you can live by performance through superiority towards other people. Or secondly, you can also do it, believe it or not, through inferiority. You can live by performance by saying, well, God could never use me. God could never love a person like me because I'm so broken. And so you actually persecute yourself. Self-hatred. Avoiding people. It's two sides of the same coin, and they both lead to the slavery and idolatry of human performance. And maybe you're saying this morning, Jason, I I hear you, uh, but I, I feel like I live in the gap because I know I should be a child of the promise and I believe that in my head, but I easily slip back into performance just like I did on Monday morning. So what do I do? Look at verse 30. Cast out the slave woman. Cast out the child of performance, in other words, and believe in the child of promise. Because you see, our knee jerk reaction because of the way our hearts are wired, is our knee-jerk and default mode is performance. That's what we go back into. And so you know what we need to do? We need to cast that out. Our tendency is to perform. We need to cast that out. Remember, no one talks to themselves more than you do. So you need to talk back to that narrative, that performance narrative that is playing on a continual loop in your mind. And as Martin Luther says, we've got to beat the gospel into our heads over and over and over because we don't believe it. We've got to cast it out. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And so how are you relating to God this morning? By promise or performance? Like Hagar or like Sarah? The answer to that question will make all the difference in your life. And lastly, is boast in your weaknesses. Look at verse 27. This is taken from Isaiah 54. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. So back in that time, if a woman was not able to have children, that was a mark of great shame for her because so much of their identity and worth and value for a woman in that time was tied up in having children. And so think about that. Sarah's barrenness would have brought tremendous shame to her. And look at what those verses say in verse 27. Rejoice. Break forth. Cry aloud. Why? Because here it is. The passage shows us that God has chosen to save the world through old, weak, and barren people like Sarah. Through Sarah, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And we see it over and over and over again in the Bible. The uh, Life of David series in the fall. Remember, David was the throwaway son. And God says, that's who I want to play with. That's who I want to make and be my king. Remember Jesus? Did he come in power? No, he came in a manger. And he died the death of a criminal for our sins. You see, God does not work through pride and strength and competency. He works through weakness and through barrenness to accomplish His purposes in your life and in the world. And I don't know about you, but that's the best news I've heard in a long time. (laughs) Because how often, I, I, I feel this way, how often do you feel afraid? 
How often do you feel ashamed? Do you feel insecure and faithless? And how often do you think, I am not enough for this? And the good news is that God doesn't say, get your act together. You've got to be a spiritual rock star. You've got to climb a spiritual ladder, and I will use you then, but only then. No. See, the gospel says, I love you where you are, as you are, old and weak and barren. And the good news is that we can bring our weaknesses to God and, and he doesn't say, hey, come back when you have it together. Come back when you're stronger. No, the very thing that we bring to him in our weakness is the very thing that he uses and works and how he begins to work through us. Friends, grace shows up in barrenness. Grace shows up in barrenness because it's, grace only comes to people who know that they need it. And here's why that's important. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of sin. Sin came into the world. And remember, because of that moment, every single person in this room struggles with shame in some way, shape, or form. You do. And so your whole life, and you have experiences that add more shame, of course, but your whole life is trying to unshame yourself. And you can either do that in one or two ways. You can seek to unshame yourself uh, on your own effort. That's what Sarah did. She did not turn to God in the midst of her shame. She turned to her own human ability to deal with it. And we do the exact same thing. We turn to our competency. We start overworking because we've got to be successful. Or we exercise more than we should because we've, uh, if I have the right body, then I won't feel the shame that I feel. Or maybe it's the opposite of that. We beat ourselves up and we self-loathe and we self-hate. And God says this morning through this passage, bring it to me. Don't try to deal with your shame on your own. Bring that not enoughness. Bring that to me. Bring your weakness and your barrenness and your shame and let me work through it. See, we don't think that way. We think we got to get cleaned up before we go to God. And God says, bring your depression. Bring your depression to me and I will work through it, not apart from it. Bring your anxiety and your fear. Bring your chronic illness that you think, I'm old and I'm not doing well, and so the time for God to use me is completely past. God says, bring that to me. I will work through it, not apart from it. Bring your past. Bring your sinful past. Bring your addiction that you can't shake. And God says, let me work through it to reach you and to minister to the people around you. Bring your not enough parenting. And you're not enough being a spouse or not feeling good enough in your marriage. And let me work through it and not apart from it. Where are you feeling weak this morning? Where are you feeling barren? Where are you feeling shame? Take it to God. Because though whatever it is for you, lean into that. Not away from that. Because those are the very places in your life where God's grace shows up and begins to work and move. And if you do that, it'll change your life. Let's pray. Father, some of us uh, this morning, we think...
that everything depends on us and we have to perform. Others of us feel uh, inferior and beat ourselves up. Would you show us that they're both ways that we trust in performance and not in promise? Would you come and transform us? We want to live more consistently uh, as children of promise. So help us um, to do that through your spirit. Use this and and, um, work it into our lives and into our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.